says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to the instant reaction edition of the tip sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And joining me to break down all the action out of round five with the Parramatta Eels taking on the Titans is my good mate, 60s. This was a, a frenetic, a torrid affair, mate, but uh, we got through it. Mate, let's. I'm going to be blunt. That was an absolute shit show in the second half. I, I look, I'm going to try to compose myself to be logical in the comments that I have to make, but... There's going to be plenty that we're going to talk about that it's it was just infuriating what we saw out there on the field. And after the first few rounds, I'm more convinced than ever that there are some major problems in how the game is being officiated. Well, what, what, now, what, how did a certain coach put it? There's the haves and the have-nots, and it sure felt like well, the... <laughs> You're talking about the coach that said there's the mm-hmm. have-nots. They've got a 9-1 yeah. penalty count Yeah. Right. Yes, sir. I'll tell you what he didn't. I'll tell you what the have not did not apply to tonight. It was his, it was the uh, penalty decisions. That's for certain. Yes, indeed. So um, we'll get into that shortly. Let's go by the numbers very quickly, though, mate. Eels prevailing 26 to 20. Like I said, it was a torrid affair in this one. Eels had the running in the first half, but that flipped in the second. But the scoreboard looked like this Philip Sami, Aaron Clark, David Fita, and Greg Mazu all scoring in the second half for the Gold Coast Titans. Thankfully, Toby Sexton wasn't exactly a sharpshooter. He only got two from four. For the Eels, Quinton Gufferson started the scoring. And uh, I, I had Bowie Simons for the first try score. We got to have a second, but it's good to see Bowie having his first as an Eel. Uh, Quinton got, then got a double with Maddo and Dylan Brown scoring an important try in the 71st minute. Mitch going three from five. Junior Polo sending, uh, spending a cent stint in the sin bin in the 62nd minute. Uh, looking at the team stats now, uh, Eels slightly ahead in possession, 52 to 48. Time of possession, about plus two minutes for the Eels. Completion rate's very similar, 79% for the Gold Coast Titans, 34 of 43. 81% for the Parramatta Eels, 30 of 37. Uh, despite uh, having the less sets, uh, but the higher possession, one of those weird quirks of the, um, the game, uh, the Eels were ahead in all key attacking stats, uh, runs, post-contact meters, line breaks, tackle breaks, although very narrow on both those gaps there. Uh, four line breaks to three, 21 tackle breaks to 20. Um, <clears throat> fast average play of the ball speed, very rare occurrence there. Eels at 3.1 seconds for the average play of the ball. Gold Coast at 3.61. And then just going down, kick the fusel very similar, 78% for the Titans, 71% for the Eels. Uh, tackle rates for both teams very solid this week, 91.16% for the Titans, 90.49 for the Eels. Uh, mixed, ta- mix, missed tackles, not mixed tackles. Missed tackles very close to 20 for the Eels, 21 for the Titans. Negative plays, errors very similar. Eight errors for the Eels, nine for the Titans, but that penalty count, woof, nine to one. Uh, Eels did get a slight advantage in the ruck infringements, three to one, but uh, that, that is a pretty significant handicap when it comes to uh, field position and the battle thereabouts. Looking at the individual stats, 60s, I mean, there's some phenomenal numbers out of this game. Quentin Govson, outstanding. He was just shy of 200 metres off 15 carries. Uh, Will Penasini, busy 120. Uh, Bailey Simonson, his best game for the club, 130 metres. Reagan Campbell-Gillard, outstanding. 20 runs, 241 metres. A whole stack of tackles too. I think there was about 37 off the top of my head. 
if I can just go find his numbers here, it was 37 exactly with one missed. Uh, but alongside him, Junior Paulo, outstanding despite a stint in the bin. He nearly got 200 metres. Uh, Ice, 180 metres. Brownie, 170. Off the, well, I say off the bench, he was actually starting, but then got bounced around the team because of injuries. Ryan Madison, 130 metres. So lots of great production across the board there. Yeah, this is, there's a lot of positive in this game because in the first half, the Eels were outstanding just across all facets of play. In the second half, I think they showed a lot of character and resilience to... Uh, roll off a lot of the punches that were coming their way, whether it was from injuries and reshuffles or from, you know, the 9-1 penalty count. And the Titans just having a good, you know, some good luck as well throughout the entire context. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> this was a, a very frenetic finish and had us on the edge of our seats. Well, can we just start with the obvious, which is the deliberate penalties to get the captain's challenge? I'm sure that we had a scenario this week where Annesley came out and said that a team cannot deliberately create a stoppage in order to initiate a captain's challenge. Apparently you can if you get it, make it successful. And having said that, there was some contention around the first one in particular for myself. I felt is that uh, the <clears throat> Reed's hand was facing towards his goal line and it was thrown back into his hand and I thought it went down, which would have been uh, arguably a knockback. Uh, in which case would have been a sim bin for the Titans, but they won that challenge. And then the second one, there wasn't much in deal pulling the jersey. It didn't actually impede uh, Philip Her- uh, Philip Herbert, uh, Patrick Herbert, sorry. Uh, but it was technically a penalty, so I wasn't too upset about that one in the, uh, as, a, as a challenge. But the whole idea of a cynical penalty to then get the review is a, yeah, it's an ugly area for the game. Look, I, I, as I said, I... I'm sure that there is there was something that was said during the week. I, I'm, I want to have a bit of a look for that. But in the meantime, uh, let's let's talk about what's happened in the first four rounds with the fouls that were committed on Parramatta Reels players. And I know this, you, you can go back to past matches and and say, well, look, there's no relevance in that. But let's let's just look at it from the perspective of where is the balance here. So we've had weeks of foul play committed on Eels players, mostly those uh, the knee shots, the uh, Nelson Asofa Solomona shot. Um, you've then even even tonight, I thought that uh, Tom Opachik was clobbered across the jaw mm-hmm. and then tackled by the head to the ground by um, it was Patrick Herbert. On the half time, I believe. Yeah, and. Uh, with the bunker having every opportunity to look at that, there was there was no uh, examination of the tackle in any way, shape, or form. Then we have the ridiculous scenario with that almighty junior Paulo tackle, which in the end looked like it was a collision of shoulder on shoulder. Mm. And you you also saw um, I'm trying to think which uh, was it Brimson that was tackled? Yeah, AJ Brimson was the one that was tackled yeah. by Junior. And yes, he made a deliberate so show of, of grasping his shoulder so he, he you know wouldn't get uh, HIA'd. And yes, and then and then we had the scenario where, as you said, he's grabbed for the shoulder. He's he's talking about a shoulder injury. He's obviously concerned about being HIA'd. You then had the bunker weighed in said that there's been uh, direct contact to the head, Mm -hmm. forceful contact to the head, sends Junior Paulo to the sin bin, and then remarkably there is no um, removal of uh, Brimson to the head bin. Mm -hmm. 
somehow this forceful contact to the head did not warrant a, a, an examination of the doctor or did not warrant a HIA, but the man was sent from the sin bin for making that forceful contact to the... Uh, this has just lost me tonight. In all honesty, the, the the decisions that have been made are just absolutely mind-boggling. And in a way, that's why I'm very happy with the performance of our boys because outside of that one, uh, the David Fafita try, where Brownie got uh, just exposed a little bit uh, after, and understandably he hadn't had a chance to be subbed out because of the whole context of our substitutions in the first half getting... Uh, or messed up because of the string of injuries that we had in concussion che- uh, checks. Uh, but outside of that, I think the integrity of our defense was outstanding today considering the sheer weight of possession gifted to them by uh, that string of penalties and by, you know, just fortuitous events for the Titans. Um, you know, they scored two tries off kicks, one of which was a, a very good execution from Brimson to isolate the wing where Br- uh, Bailey Simonson made two tackles in a row, like two very good tackles, but he wasn't able to get back in time. And the other one was more of just an unfortunate friendly fire incident where Guffer probably had it but then got hit by his own player. So, yeah, I think that defensively the Eels were still very good, all things considering, and that's why we only had the 20 missed tackles despite the avalanche of possession against us in the second half. Let's just go back to the, those captain's challenges. Here's the rules with the process. The captain can only challenge decisions by the referees which caused play to stop i.e. any decision by the referee to play on cannot be challenged. So when there was that, uh, the hold down to get a penalty awarded, they could effectively only challenge the hold down penalty. They cannot challenge the play that led up to it. That's the rule. There you go. That's the process. And that's the very simple way to eliminate that bastardization of the rules that has been allowed to creep in, which is completely against the processes as stipulated by the NRL themselves, ones which surely the uh, match officials, certainly the those in the bunker, should be more than well aware of around the captain's challenge, I'd like uh, – I, I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is post-match, they're going to say they got it wrong. They will say they've got it wrong. It, but the thing is, it wouldn't have mattered if they ended if it ended up costing the Eels the game. Thankfully, it didn't. I mean, I shouldn't be fired up like this after a win. Yeah, I know. But I can't I help know. but being <laughs> fired up because you, you, look at, you look at what transpired tonight – and it, as I said before, and I apologise for the language, but it was an absolute shit show. Like it was diabolical what was going on out there. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just I'm almost lost for words, mate. I, I, like I, I seriously am. I'm, I, I know that we really need to break down the play and stop talking about the officiating, and maybe we should we should do so now. But... I can't help but being fired up by what we witnessed because it was a, a complete joke. Yeah, it was I mean, an joke. and and especially in the context of the junior polo sin being outside of any captain's challenges, where a player is grasping at their shoulder to make you know emphasis that yeah I wasn't hit higher you can't put me in the HIA, 
and yet <clears throat> the bunker finds evidence uh, on the contrary, despite multiple angles showing it was shoulder-to-shoulder contact, which then prompted whip because it was such a heavy shot. Junior absolutely smashed him, prompted the whiplash of the neck and the head, which then led into led to potentially any other secondary contact, which is not a penalty, by the way. It's about the first point of contact, remember? We, we've had this stress to us, especially with uh, the knees of uh, Jaden Campbell in the past. It's about the first point of contact, you know? Yeah, uh, you... I'm I'm not guaranteeing anything that happens after the after he's been put on report. I'm not guaranteeing anything that that comes out of that. I mean, I wouldn't but, be surprised if he gets weeks now, given the the yeah. the, the crackdown that is going to come following the Sofa Solomona incident. But uh, I mean, and this is one of those ones I'll be like, yeah, come on, Paramedals, fight it, fight it. But we know that in the past that, especially for Junior in particular, it, it's been a, a nightmare when the Eels have tried to fight pretty. It seemed like open shut downgrades. Well, we re- we well remember that that tackle that they deemed as a dangerous throw, where he he, he grabbed, I think, it was a manly player. Matt, Matt and, um, runs, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and held him to the ground. And what did he get? Nine weeks. Yep. Uh, eight eight nine like, weeks or something like that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, brutal. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, look. Uh, I, I maybe maybe I need to now bite my tongue and we, we go back to analysing the the play from uh, the Eels, and I'll, uh, we'll we'll try to hold back the emotion. This is the danger of the instant reaction coming coming podcast. in raw from just like literally minutes after uh, the final whistle. Yeah, yeah, it's um so. Uh, apology, apologies to anyone who's sitting there listening to this and thinking, uh, get over the referees. Um, you know, let's let's talk about the footy. So, uh, first half, mate, uh, Regan Campbell Gillard. Yeah, I think he had banged out pretty much two hundred meters, just short of on the on the buzzer. So he was immense, and the only blemish was a a pass that probably was um, more on Junior Paul, where he should have played out the back or held the ball himself. Um, I thought that Reg was just a tone setter uh, throughout that first 40 minutes. The Titans could not go with him. And I mean, and Junior too, obviously, and Ice and Brownie. The entire starting forward pack were just excellent in that first 40 um, before all those re, the reshuffle after reshuffle. Because I think we had, we we had, first first we have uh, Wanga go down with what we suspect is an MCL injury. It seemed to be a lower grade considering that he didn't have too much uh, ice or anything on it on the sideline. But he went down, which forced... Tom Opachik to the left cent- uh, left wing spot, and then Bryce Cartwright into left into left centre, and then we had uh, Will Penasini get HIA'd, which then forced Ryan Madison to right centre, and I think Mackenzie Makatoa onto the edge. So they it was shades of that Melbourne Storm game in the finals, in that regard where just it was backline reshuffle after backline reshuffle, and uh, and the forwards were the really linchpins throughout all of that with the guys that just played big minutes. And regardless of what was in their starting position or in one of several emergency spots, mate, uh, I had it suggested to me through a message on social media tonight that maybe the Eels should retire the winger jersey oh. at some stage oh. soon, Seri- because I mean, we are fast running out of outside backs at the moment. It is brutal at the moment because you know, the, and there was a moment where Bailey Simonson looked like he could have been uh, banged up scoring his try. He uh, landed hard on that shoulder, and he had to really uh, work it over for a few minutes while Moses set up the kick, and we could have been down both flankers tonight. Um, well, well, he, here's the question: You're looking at a uh, a medial ligament injury to Wonga Blake. 
we assume from that, what, a two to three week? That I believe the timeline on a grade one would be around two to three weeks, yeah. Okay. I mean, let me just... So where's, what's the option from here? Oh, I mean. We have, we have no Hayes Dunster for the year. We are talking about uh, Sean Russell being a, another six weeks away. You're looking at Mike Acevo being another six to eight weeks away. Yep. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, are, we, are we about to look at the uh, Maltese mullet making his day? Yeah, Zach Zaccini. I mean, you'd have to think at this point the Eels will get whatever clearance they need outside of top thirty to get players into the wing spot now. Like the the situation is that dive at surely the NRL doesn't stand in their way promoting second tier or development players prime prior to the the mid season deadline. Uh, but just trying to think, I mean. The, the New South Wales Cup team went down today, uh, but you know we, we've seen in that team, you mentioned Zach Sini, you've got Samuel Loizu. Uh, that's another option there. Uh, Possibly Hayes Perham. Hayes Perham, another one too, though not a special swinger by any regards. You'd be picking him as a, a form player more than a, a specialist. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, I know a lot of people have been uh, banging the drums for Solomon and Iduki, but... Not only is he very raw as a prospect still, but he, he isn't playing at the moment. He's, um, I believe he's tweaked a, a hammy or something of the like, and that's why you've got uh, young Matthew Komalafi on one wing and Max Lehman on the other at the moment in Reggie. So, yeah, the uh, the opportunities for for ideal fits at the moment are not good. And we, <laughs> I don't know. if uh, I expect Wanga to be out for at least a couple of weeks given that they didn't get him back into the game. If that's the case, we have uh, a very serious issue next week. Yeah, it's it's not good because one one thing we do have maybe is that Wanga, Wanga Murata Niakori might be fit, given that he was in the extended roster this week. He could play centre, which then frees up Opachik or, or Penasini to play wing, which is once again less than ideal. Yeah, well, again, you're moving someone away yeah. from their specialist position. Mm-hmm to cover a spot and I mean there'd be there'd, there's still going to be question marks because the I mean I probably I'd probably have greater confidence in Opachik from a positional point of view being able to cover wing uh, ahead of Will Penasini because Will Penasini's still like he's a major talent as a center but he's a complete rookie when it comes to positional play when it out on the wing in in first grade. Um, I mean, it is truly in the modern game. It is a it is a specialist position. It, it used to be that you, you could hide a goal kicker out on the wing back in the old days. Um, you, you didn't even have to have a fast player out there if it was if he was a goal kicker. You, it was just that valuable to be able to have someone who could turn four into six that you would carry players out there, and, and that's with you know, the greatest respect to some of those wingers, but there's been no shortage of blokes that are, were goal kickers that were no superstars when it, when it came to wing play. Mm. Yeah. I, mate, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Brad would be loath to put Murata in the centers and shift someone out to the wing, but maybe we've reached that stage no. with our, there is our no, there is no spots. neat solution. Is there, like you said, you can get no. Zach, Zach Sini might be the best possible fit. He's a guy with, well, wing. he's the, he, he's the specialist. That's right. You're talking about uh, Samuel 
uh, Luizio, who's a a centre slash fullback uh, rather than a winger. He's from memory he might have played the odd game. He's played, out on he's the, played wing, the odd but, game on the wing, but predominantly, uh, although I think he prefers playing fullback, he's been a centre in the Parramatta system. That that's right, and um, and then when you're talking about. Um, uh, as I said, Marada, you, you don't really want to move move him away from the forwards um, and out to centre, and then have another positional shift to accommodate him there. Uh, Hayes Perham, who is certainly a utility player, could play in uh, could play well, really anywhere in the back line. But he's since he's been at Parramatta, he's predominantly played at either fullback or in the halves. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Perham is the best option. He's probably the fastest out of those. It, it is so options. scary putting a guy with no wing experience or very little wing experience into the first grade spot there, given how much, you know, you see teams key into certain players now. If, you know, if they suspect that you are suspect under the high ball, uh, they'll go after you. Um, if you, they feel like that you don't know how to play the the man to man situations correctly they'll go after you there's you know and if they feel like you can be bullied physically coming out of your own end because you're not uh, you know a, a strong ball carrier in that situation they can come after you so I mean I, I really really like Hayes Perrin this isn't a knock on him as a, a potential first grader it's just in the context of playing wing it is it's a big unknown so I don't know I I'll be leaning towards Zach Sini right now even if he's not, you know, necessarily a perfect fit, he is a actual specialist winger. Brings a bit of a, a rucking ability to the table too. Um, yeah, but it, it there is no neat and simple solution to this, is there? Sixties. No, and I probably agree with you that if they are looking at bringing in someone as a specialist winger, it's going to be him. He's he's probably the one that's got the upside in terms of experience there. If they are looking for someone who's more familiar with the Parramatta system and who was close to being considered for first grade, you're probably looking at Hayes Perham, given mm-hmm. that he travelled up there as the 18th man tonight. So, um, uh, and outside of that, the the left field. Um, scenario would be a three-way positional shift, which is if Jake Arthur was back, it pushes Dylan Brown out to the centres, and then and then pushes either you, you, um, you can't unseat Dylan now. Either no, centre to, seems... to the wing, and and that just wouldn't be on the cards because of the fact that um, you've got Dylan Brown playing so incredibly yeah. well in the halves that it would be a disruption of. Uh, as I said, up to three positions, rather than solving the uh, the one positional problem. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch this space. And I can't remember the Eels ever having a run of injuries in that uh, and significant injuries in that one position. I thought it was bad enough with the dummy half last mm-hmm. year, losing the three dummy halves, but. This is extraordinary when it's when it's come to the wing spot. So, um, if you don't laugh or cry at this point, right? It, it is just, what? yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I do not pity. I sorry, I do pity. I don't envy Brad Arthur and his coaching panel there because they're, they're dealing with a crisis of uh, unparalleled 
significance right now. I mean, they, they are down so many troops in the one spot. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, <laughs> I want to I want to talk about a real bright spot, seeing as though we've just been on the negative and and we had been looking after all at a at a Parramatta Eels win. Post contact meters. I just want to run through some to pay attention to. Clint Gutherson, 53 post-contact metres. Will Penasini, 55. Bailey Simonson, 61. Reg, 104. Hey, Reg's post-contact metres were more as an overall stat than, the uh, I want to say, 12 of the Titans. So he had more yep. post-contact metres than 12 Titans had actual metres. Yep. Uh, Junior, 88. Maddo, 54. Ice, 84. Nathan Brown, 73. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they are phenomenal numbers for post-contact metres. As as you said, like, there's there's some of those numbers are what you might get from a, a forward in a very average sort of game for normal running metres, let alone post-contact metres. So... Uh, that was probably the hallmark of, of the game. It's probably one where if the Eels had an even share of possession in the second half, given their dominance of possession in the first half, they were playing the power game. They absolutely won the middle. That's how the points were coming. It was They were prepared to make the Titans pay with that physicality of their game in the first half. But essentially, the game was moved away from them with such a, a low possession rate in the second half, not the least of which was uh, the, the penalty count of, uh, what was it, 9-1? 9-1. Um, yeah. And and as I said, the uh, ridiculous calls that were, that were made on the basis of those captain's challenges. But um, again, it's... If, if the Titans get away with something like that good on them, I mean, they're, they're, they're exploiting something where the referees shouldn't have allowed them to exploit it. I put the blame wholly and solely on the bunker in that regard. I put the blame wholly and solely on the bunker with the uh, the tackle that was made on Opachik, which was ignored. I put the blame wholly and solely on the bunker with the decision around Junior Paulo. And that, this, this feels where I think a lot of the conversation is steering to is that by and large, the on-field refs are doing a fairly solid job this year. Um, there's, you know, obviously the the odd miss here and there, but the bunker is for for a thing that was brought in to have the same people sit across multiple games to have consistent interpretations on the rules. You're getting wildly different things, not just game to game, but incident to incident within the same game. Yeah, and and let's let's be pretty straightforward with this. You're talking about of the nine penalties, three of them came from those bunker calls. Uh, and then you've got the, another one which should have gone to uh, the Eels via Opachik, which was um, would have at least given us our second penalty. And here's one that maybe people didn't quite pick up. When the Titans scored their, I think it was their second try, where we fumbled the ball in the in goal, where it looked as if the three Parramatta Eels players collided, you might, whether you noticed it or not, Nathan Brown copped a shove in the back as he was running back towards the ball, which uh, brought about the collision between the three Eels players. So 
if you haven't had a chance to have a look at that, have a look at the the push in the back that he gets, and that didn't even come under review. And given some of the slightest things that have been pulled up and prevented try from being awarded, then that's I I can't believe that that wasn't at least looked at. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe it was looked at, maybe it was it was part of the uh, try confirmed process that they, they saw that and they deemed it wasn't worthy of being looked at. But I'll tell you what, when you, when you actually know that it's happened and you see it happen, uh, it's hard to believe that it didn't figure because it brought about the collision between the three players, which then, which then caused the ball to come yeah, through. Yeah, prevented Gufferson from grounding it, which then allowed it to spill out for uh, the dummy half right, Aaron Clark, I think it was, to score. I I, I can't believe that. Uh, I'm assuming that the Eels players didn't approach the referee to draw their attention to that being looked at. But I mean, what can I say? I'm still talking about the refs. I need to talk. Need to stop talking about the refs. Let's let's. We start. had a win. Yeah, we, we just we just had a win. Another away from home win. Where four wins, one loss on the table early in the season. Yeah, provisionally, I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got to find my happy place tonight, mate. Yeah, provisionally in third sounding, place. Care of that win? Yeah. We're just a, I think it's six or seven four and against the head of the Cronulla Sharks. If they do win, though, uh, so if the Sharks win and win well over the Tigers tomorrow, they'll probably leapfrog us. But we'll finish around in the top four, which is a very good place to be, as we all know. Yeah, and. But, um, and I mean, you. I was going to say the thing that's the concern. That the thing that's the concern going forward, because we do have a run of what you would. Uh, you don't like to say it in the in the NRL in terms of winnable games, but the draw for the next three weeks or so uh, looks light to up. be, uh, you know, reasonably light. But given the injury toll yeah. that seems to continue <laughs> to be growing, you. And when a lot of it is revolving around the outside backs, there will come a point where we are losing pace in the outside backs. We're losing specialist position expertise in the outside backs. And there's going to come a point where you're going to pay for that. Oh, yeah. You know, you can, the Eagles have done incredibly well to absorb so much, but, you know, there is a, a, a bursting point, right? It's like a dam. Or, or a balloon or anything filling up with water. Like you can just take on and take on and take on more and more water pressure, but at some point it's going to come exploding out and we're, we're getting close to what it feels like. Yeah. Um, the the missed tackle count, mate, what, what was what was that for the It was for the game? 20, I believe, this game uh, to the Titans 21. So Now that would have been most that, – that's quite a decent number when it comes to – Comparisons with the uh, the pre some of the previous yeah, weeks where we'd we, been we, like, we had over fi- we had over fifty. That's right. It was, it was sort of averaging between forty and fifty across those early rounds where we just weren't making that strong initial contact that we've come to associate with Parramatta defense. Whereas in the last couple of weeks, it's been much more uh, in alignment with what we do expect with all the standards that we hold ourselves. And I think it's fair to say that the majority of the missed tackles in this game uh, emerged in the second half yeah, where almost certainly. fatigue was just kicking in and the, the possession rate was phenomenal. Um, there was plenty of scramble that was happening, but 
and the vast. Um, I, I think mean, I think Fafita instigated about Greg, four or five. Greg Marju and and Fafita Marju had eight and Fafita five. That's the vast yeah. majority of it between the two of them there. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're you're literally talking about um, one or two carries there that that caused a problem. Um, I was reasonably happy with it. Well, I was very happy with the first up contact in that um, in that first. Uh, in that first, oh, it half. was it was tough. Like the, the the Titans had no traction in the ruck on both sides of the ball because Eels are so dominant physically, and that's what we expect from our forward pack. Um, but even just out wide, you saw um, I thought that Will Penasini was outstanding up against Philip Sami. Um, he he used the sideline as that extra defender and just cut him down without giving away any meters over the advantage line every time. Um, yeah, so very yeah. Uh, very happy with the team defensively. I think, you know, we mentioned the the Fafita try, the Greg Marsley try too. They'll probably be disappointed. I thought Moses overcommitted from marker there. He sort of, uh, yeah. he, he was shading on the outside shoulder of Marju, thinking that he was going to pass. Marju obviously holds it up and, and runs it and gets in behind. So that, that's always a little, you know, nit, nitpicking sort of stuff there. I think that given the avalanche of possession, the Eels defended their line very strongly in the second half. Yeah, so <clears throat> just looking at the... Uh, at the game as a, as a whole, you had the first half following the game plan to a T, which was essentially the power game, uh, getting the uh, uh, massive meters through the forwards, uh, launching the wider attack once that platform had been laid. It was pretty straightforward. It was it was Parramatta Reels football one hundred and one. And it played out as we'd expected during the first half. It looked to be continuing on in a similar path in the second half. But then we had that weight of possession, which just went absolutely out of control, where it was we we almost were in a completely different position where it was like, I, I, I feel like saying hang on for grim death for the for a large part of the second half, mm-hmm. but it, it sort of felt that way um, where there was a lot of scramble defence. There was, I don't know that we really had enough possession to be able to say that we were executing any sort of game plan during that period of time. Um, so uh, full marks for the first half, hard to assess the second half in terms of uh, game plan and what they were doing, but very easy to gauge it in terms of the commitment to winning the game. And I think in the face of quite a lot of adversity during that period, uh, a great result uh, overall. Uh, concerns around Wonga Blake, uh, but outside of that... Yeah, Junior Paul of the judiciary, who knows what the match is going to throw his way now. Um, I was trying to put that to the back of my mind, yeah. though. But, um, but let's let, uh, can we get to the uh, the three two ones? Um, I think that's a good a good launch board for that. Uh, geez, a whole lot of you know wholehearted performances on the field today. The numbers just speak so powerfully to what Reagan Campbell Gillard was offering on the field. Though I think he might be my three points. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to agree with that. I, I'm. I'm going with Reg for the, which, the three points. Which oh. is a little bit frustrating for me because the player that's going to get my two points was the player I tipped to be the man of the match in our preview podcast. And that's our captain and fullback, Quentin Gufferson, who was just behind Reg, I think, in impact. He scored a couple of tries, had that outstanding tackle on AJ Brimson off the chip kick at the end of the game. Uh, it, was a, it was Brimson or Sexton, I can't remember. Uh, but I thought he was uh, 
involved heavily throughout the game in the, all, all the best kinds of ways. And, yeah, he was huge. Yeah, uh, I'm... I think Gutho was absolutely huge as well. It's I'm trying to decide, however, because I think I'm going to go for Ice. He for was he two. was very good. Yeah, and 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 therein lies the problem because I'm trying to split Gutho and uh, Nathan Brown and Junior Paulo because I reckon the three yeah, of them, yeah. the three of them for the one point. I mean, I. It almost feels diabolical that I haven't found Gutho for the two points. It, it's, it's one of those games where you can you can definitely spin those individual contributions in like easily into yeah. Well, Ice was just you know a tone setter on down that right edge. They you know he just was hammering the ball all game. Was um, quite good defensively, and you know was very worthy of the two points. You know I. <clears throat> I think I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about it more and more. I think it's impossible to ignore some of the plays of Gutho in that. So I'm going to go for him for the for the two and uh, Ice for one, with the massive honourable mention to um, Junior, to Ice, uh, to Nathan Brown to even to Ryan Madison as well because I thought he he had uh, quite a, a strong Mano contribution. Was good, yeah, game. bounced across a couple of different spots, had some um, big carries, big hits. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to go in a different direction for my one point. Uh, once again, any of those guys, Ice, Maddo, uh, Junior, Brownie, they easily could have gotten the one point. But I think it is worth, you know, in this winger crisis that we're having, I think it was important that Bowie Simonson had his first really good game in Bull and Gold. He scored his first try for the club. Lots of uh, strong runs coming back from the fences off those kick returns, uh, working hard outside of the ruck. Um, I thought it was very good defensively as well too. It felt like the first time that both he and Penasini were just working in sync down that right edge, which was really important given the context of this game. Um, yeah, So I'm going to give Ballin my one point because that was a very important game uh, in, in a position that we needed to have someone step up in. I think that's a fair call. I almost feel like I have to group players together for mentions yeah. after that because yeah. I agree with you. I thought that both um, Will Penasini and uh, Bailey Simonson worked really well together. It looked like the first time re- – <laughs> last week was pretty good, but it really felt that they made a major contribution tonight with uh, on, on both sides of the play, both in attack and defence, just with the carries, with the – uh, with the post-contact metres and also uh, some of that, de- not just the defensive plays, but the defensive decisions, they just seem to nail them all tonight. And you can see with every game that Bailey Simonson is becoming more comfortable out there with our systems. And it was only going to take a few games to become more settled in being in the blue and gold and knowing exactly what the players around him were doing and there's there's almost a part there that's reminiscent of the the early criticism that Clint Gutherson got. Oh, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. It's a uh, you know obviously in an ideal world you you hit the ground running. Uh you know when you make a shift to a different club but sometimes it does take a few games to get your head in the right spot and just get used to the different structures and approaches that different clubs have and Bailey, you know, has eased his way into it and I think he really arrived today which was important for the Blue and Gold. 
I, I'm, I'm, I sometimes wonder what those people who really ripped into Gutho in those in the first three, four, five games that he played for the Eels, if if they were told in those few weeks that in a couple of years down the track he will be the captain and he'll be referred to as King Gutho <laughs> and he will be and he will be playing state of origin football. I mean, <laughs> those people would probably would have been incredulous at the at the suggestion, but um, that's it's it's an indication that the tide can turn for a footballer so quickly mm-hmm. and i think i think bailey simonson joined the club with a lot of promise he had a very good pre-season Lich, he did literally hit the ground running in the pre-season with the he, he was doing some things in training where i was just thinking what a signing and yeah, it's taken him a few weeks to find his feet, find his groove in the systems, but all signs are pointing towards him really he's gonna make a mark, I think, out there. Yeah, well so, and, um, and the fact that he's literally the last one left standing right now is uh important yeah. in its own right. It <laughs> does does he do you think he, he should get um you know some of the other wingers just throw a bit of their contract money towards him seeing as though he's carrying the load well you know how there's usually there's an iron man award they give out at clubs if a guy plays all the games in the in the regular season i think it should be a like a platinum man award or something like that for Bailey if he gets through to the end of the regular season without missing a game in like as a winger in the Parramatta eels that's got to be some sort of record the way things are going right now for wingers the, the spot is absolutely cursed it is just in- incredible well, mate, I, I I want to finish the the podcast on a high and say that we've managed to find plenty to be pleased about in terms of the individual performances, the the fight that the Eels had in them in the second half to hang on for the win. Is there anything else you want to throw in about uh, tonight's game that um, keeps us maybe even on a on a bigger high as we wrap things up? I think for me personally. This is the sort of game when you deal with adversity in, in some of the worst possible ways where you've got injuries across the board and in difficult positions to replace. You're dealing with a team that's getting all the penalties. There's you know some real grey areas in the game being exploited in terms of those cynical penalties. And for all of it, the Eels didn't drop their load. Like The Titans chipped away and scored some tries, but it wasn't because the Eels collapsed defensively. There was the mental fortitude that you need to see from a premiership contender on the spire for that entire game. And I think that's a, you know, an indication of where the Eels are at and where they've been you know, grown to under Brad Arthur. So I'm very happy to see that. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very rare in any season that you get a 9-1 penalty count against you and such a weight of possession against you and a sin bin scenario. So to come out the other side of that and be able to sing the team song in the sheds after such a match is a massive positive and we'll I think we'll move on from that with a little bit a little bit more confidence about how we play. But I think like last week, the Eels were fairly quick to move on after such a big win. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mail is that that they didn't get carried away with it at all, that they were quite circumspect about things that they could have done a bit better. That's probably going to be the case with this. 
Uh, there's There was obviously some discipline issues because you can't say that certain penalties weren't warranted. Um, so I think there's learning to come out of it, uh, a win to come out of it, um, positives there. So, mate, we got the win. What yep, can I say? Exactly. And, and, you know, these are the wins that you, know, you don't win premierships in March, April, you know, May, but you go a long way towards booking a spot at the top end of the table to put yourself in a position to win it later on. And Eels yeah. are, are banking these important wins now. They're building their systems and combinations. Nicely, we mentioned down that right edge, Penasini and Simonson are coming together. The forward pack is starting to coalesce beautifully. The halves obviously firing magnificently. So, yeah, the, the Eels are getting all their different systems in order, getting their house in order. It's very good stuff. It's you know, They're not playing perfect football. Like you said, they're going to have to look at their discipline and a few other things around that moving forwards. But, you know, they've positioned themselves heading into Easter Monday in a, in a massive clash against the West Tigers, one of those games that we circle because it's, a, you know, just a, a huge calendar game. Um, and, yeah, and they've got a chance to really springboard into uh, the mid part of the season with a lot of momentum. Absolutely, mate. And we don't take any of those games for granted because we know that the, regardless of tomorrow's result for the Tigers, that they're going to lift. Yeah. And uh, they 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 always find that little bit bit of extra motivation to to play the Eels. And uh, I think, well, I, I'm looking forward to being there. And just a reminder for people that after the game on Easter Monday that Forty and I will be uh, in Jack's Bar and Grill at Parramatta Leagues Club post-match to celebrate what we anticipate is going to be a great victory. So please come in and join us and uh, enjoy a beer, um, something to eat, and a bit of footy talk. Yes, sir. And as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Hope you uh, hope you enjoyed the 26-20 win over the Titans, as uh, stressful as it was for a number of uh, different circumstances uh, throughout, but the Eels prevailing with... Cool heads and uh, and strong minds. And, yeah, once again, going to finish around in the top four, heading into Easter Monday. It's going to be a massive round of football next week. And, yeah, Parramatta Reels, just uh, despite all the handicaps, despite all the bad luck in the wing position, they're just pushing forwards. And, uh, you know, that has been a, a real highlight of their tenure of Brad Arthur as coach. And that what, you know, he is instilled into the team as a head coach. And it's really, really encouraging to see that coming through when the adversity and, and the backs are against the wall. Yep. Go the Eels. Go the Eels.